Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. I want to welcome Dale Gantis to the show today. For 23 years, Dale was the CEO and co-owner of Ingenious. Ingenious started as a consulting firm and pivoted to become a premier software provider to the call center industry. In October 2019, so just a few months ago, Ingenious was acquired by Upland Software. And today, uh, Dale is the general manager Uh of Upland Ingenious. Welcome to Breakthrough, Dale. Thanks so much, Sarah. Happy to be here. Well, I'm so honored that you're here joining us today to talk about the work that you do and your entrepreneurial journey. So before we get, before we dive in too deeply, um, tell me just a little bit about what Ingenious does. Sure. Ingenious ties uh, contact center systems, so call center phone systems, right into the most popular CRM system, so Salesforce.com, Microsoft Dynamics, and and ServiceNow. And the point of all that is what what we help our customers do is make their contact centers way more efficient, makes their agents' lives easier because they've got all the information they need in front of them on a single single pane of glass, we call it, and it makes customer experience a lot better because before the agents even answer the phone, they know who's calling, what they're calling about, and all that kind of stuff. Um, And we do this for enterprise customers uh, around the world. Great customers like LinkedIn, Expedia, The Gap, um, Bank of New York Mellon, uh, VMware, lots of great customers. Amazing. So tell me then a little bit about how did you start this business? Well, that's interesting. I was laid off, of course, of my <laughs> of my previous job. Um, I had been a mid-level manager at Telesat Canada. That's a satellite communications company. And I had hired this company, Ingenious, which was a really just one guy it was who turned out to be my long-time partner in Ingenious to build a, a complicated network control system. Uh, his name is Rich, Rich Lowen, and I realized uh, through working with Rich that he was the best engineer I'd ever worked with, and I think he realized I was the best manager he ever worked with, so when I got laid off, he actually showed up at my door with a box of business cards that said, Dale Gantis, President Ingenious, and the rest is history. Oh my goodness, that is amazing. So what yeah. um, what kind of reception did he get? Obviously, you said yes, but what a great pitch. How did you receive that? <laughs> Actually, it's funny because I told him to buzz off initially, <laughs> and, and I, had, uh, I had other job offers, and I was really the reluctant entrepreneur. He was a consummate entrepreneur. He'd never had a... Uh, a, a real job in his life, but I had worked 14 years in in uh, in a you know for for a company, 
And uh, what I did was I went on vacation and I thought, oh, I'll just take one of these other job offers. But when I got back, when I drove back in my driveway, I said, no, this is the best engineer I've ever worked with. And it's a chance to start something new. So I called him up and said, yes. Oh, that's so amazing. And the rest is history. So I'd love to hear a little bit then about, so you started out, um, this company started out as a consulting firm. And then at some point you made this pivot to become a software provider. What did that process look like? How did you make some of those, I'm imagining, potentially difficult decisions? Well, yeah, it, it, it took time uh, to get there. We started out as a consulting company in the days when there was tons of money flowing around. Uh, Nortel was a major client. We became a preferred supplier to them. We had 50 people doing everything from uh, code optimization on high-speed switches to Unix system administration. I'm getting very geeky on you here. But, uh, you know, things eventually changed. Um, Nortel went bust, uh, went belly up. The uh, the uh, dot-com era went bust. A high-tech meltdown came. And so we had to go back to our roots. And, and our roots were really, we knew that what our core competencies were, were, were multi-vendor computer networking and telecom and software development. So we had to figure out how to leverage those skills to, to deliver something that customers actually wanted, where they take money out of their pockets and put it into our pockets. And we had to try a bunch of different things. Uh, we tried uh, iPhone app development. We tried uh, uh, consulting for in the healthcare industry. We had to do a bunch of things because we were a bootstrapped company. We had to have money coming in the door. We had to pay our employees. And if there was money left over, we had to pay ourselves. So eventually, um, by going back to our roots, we, we did a whole bunch of R&D projects for uh, a telecom company called Mitel. And eventually, uh, by working with their customers, we saw what they were looking for. And we saw a lot of commonality in there. And we said, aha, people want to connect their phone systems to Salesforce.com. So we started, uh, so we started investing our, our profit into building a product that would do that. And then uh, in what happened, uh, the real pivot came in the late uh, 2011. Because we were working with Salesforce, we got to know their product management folks and found out that they had a problem. Their interface, they're called their API, really wasn't working well, and they had to rebuild it. And they were looking for folks that had some smarts and experience to help them. And we, we ponied up. We said, okay, we will help you develop a brand new interface. And then uh, Rich and I looked at each other and said, okay, they're developing a new interface. They are the fastest growing CRM company in the business. Why don't we build a new application that's going to take advantage of that? And we did. So, so at that point, 2011, that's when we bet the farm. And in September 2012, Salesforce uh, announced their new a- interface, and we announced our new product, started making sales, and took off. Wow, that's incredible. It was fun. When you were making that, you know, like, bet the, when you say bet the farm, what kind of um, 
How does that how does that work with your did you have nerves of steel? Did you worry? How did you make those decisions so that you felt that you were moving confidently toward the right choice? I worried all the time. <laughs> Anybody who's trying to find their product market fit is worrying. I would worry every night. I would worry all I was a chief worrier of the company. That's really my job. And what what I'm worrying about is is all the jobs of the people working for us. Are we going to be uh, profitable? Are we going to find the right the right uh, niche? So yeah, for sure I was worrying. At the same time, absolutely had confidence that this was the right direction to go in. And so you just, like you say, you gird your loins and you charge ahead. <laughs> and we, we, we always managed fiscally conservatively. So there was always a little bit of a buffer. And the buffer came out of our salaries, we, we, the, the owner's salaries. We just paid ourselves little until we knew there was profit and then we could pay ourselves out of the profit. And that's how we bootstrapped ourselves up. And so it is really rare to have a business like yours in this particular space, um, bootstrap. Tell me um, then, you know, so this, 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 this betting the farm did pay off. So what were some of the benefits and the results of aligning yourself with, um, with Salesforce? Oh, it was huge. Uh, absolutely huge. That made, that made our company. Um, that that partnership, and they're not our only partners, but they are critical partners as as well as the other partners. Uh, so we are partnered both with CRM companies and with uh, phone system vendors, people like Genesis and Cisco and Avaya. And um, the by partnering, uh, when you're a small company, you don't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on Gartner analysis and, and, and analyst, uh, analyst information, but you can get a lot of information out of your partners um, about what's really happening in, in the industry and amongst their customers. You get to see what their customers want, uh, and you get to... Uh, by by partnering, it's not only getting things from the partners, but it's giving as well, giving expertise, giving guidance about what we're seeing our customers want and what they can do better in their technology. And they really, at Salesforce, they really appreciated that. And they still appreciate that today. We've got a great partnership uh, with them. Um, and um, yeah, just staying close to, to our partners and understanding what they need from us and what added values we can provide that help them with their customers. That's the most important part and partnership is you're not just looking out for yourself, but you're figuring out what you can do to help your partner. And of course that brings more business to you in the end. Mm. And how do you develop partnerships and relationships you identify as a small company really dealing with some of the bigger global players like, you know, like Salesforce? First of all, a demonstration of our technical competence, mm. the demonstration of our fantastic customer service. So having our customers tell them, oh, Ingenious is the company to go to. That is the, that is the biggest, <laughs> the biggest way to build credibility. Um, and, uh, and then winning business 
with their biggest customers, of course, has has the most impact when a when a major streaming service or a major uh, PC manufacturer says, yeah, these guys that tells tells another potential customer, you want it done right, you want CTI done right, use Ingenius. Not only do the other customers take notice, but the partners take notice as well. And and, and that builds their confidence. Good. You bet. <laughs> it feels great. <laughs> Dale, what are some of the, what do you see as the greatest strengths that you bring to business? Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting because I I kind of do uh, a lot of different things as CEO and as general manager. I am detail oriented. I am persistent. I am optimistic, and I am caring as well. So uh, I've always wanted to know everything about the business, all the financial details, all the processes involved in sales. All the, all the product and technical side of things. And it's not because I know all these things, because hopefully the people working for me know more than I do, but um, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I ask lots and lots of questions. So when, when our team is finding a problem too hard to solve, I just ask questions until we figure out together one or two ways to solve it. Because after being in business this long, uh, I know that there's always a way to solve a problem. And I mentioned caring. Any, everything uh, we do in business, and it's, it's really the first, uh, first of our corporate values, is to make our customers' lives better and, and make them happier. And, and, uh, and I care about our customers, I care about our partners, and I care about our staff. And I've always cared about them. And, it, and it's always turned out that good ethics and caring and good business are one and the same. It's actually profitable to be nice, <laughs> to be caring. Yeah, you have to be smart as well, but uh, if you care about your customers, they're going to come back to you. It's really fascinating as I've been doing these breakthrough interviews and talking to women who've achieved this level of success, the common themes that come out, and that is one that that just emerges in almost every interview is the great value to caring and empathy and whether that's with your staff or your partners or your, or your customers. So I think, you know, for those of us listening, that's one to, to hold, hold on to. Let, let me just say, Sarah, caring alone is useless. <laughs> you need all the other stuff. You need the attention to detail. You need the process orientation. You need the planning. You need the execution. You need all of that stuff. But if you add caring on top, you're going to win. I, I appreciate that, um, that clarification on that. And it's a really good point. What are the areas, uh, you know, as you say, you've been doing this for a long time. What are the ways that you are still growing and building, Dale? Well, uh, as you mentioned, um, our company was acquired last October, which uh, by a, a fantastic strategic partner, Upland Software, and uh, that's working out really, really well. What the what I want to see happen, and and one of the reasons that uh, that we were acquired by by Upland. Um, that I wanted the acquisition was because I have been doing this a long time and the company has now achieved over $10 million uh, 
So eight, we're up to eight figures in uh, revenue run rate, which which was a, a great accomplishment. But I want to see the company achieve 20 and 30 and 50 million. And I won't be around long enough to see that happen. Um, but the team that we've put in place, backed by the the public company owner that we have now, is going to be able to do that. And the the continued growth of the senior management team and carrying on that continued growth of the company as well as a continued strong culture of the company backed by by Upland by a public company is gonna is going to make uh, that that dream possible and I'm I'm very happy uh, to be here for for kick to, to kick that off and to see uh, our senior team and our staff carry that forward. Wow, that's terrific. So when you made this decision, how far out did you make the decision that you wanted to, uh, to sell before that actually happened? And what were some of the things that you, that you did to prepare for that? Well, um, we didn't really know for sure that we wanted to sell right at, right at that time. Um, However, I knew I was getting old, frankly. I've been, been, uh, I've been working 40 years, Sarah, 40 years. So uh, I can't work 50 years. That's just crazy. So I, I knew that, that one way or another, I would have to transition the company uh, either to someone else or to a, a partner or something like that. So um, we decided... Really, it was when we hit the $10 million uh, annual revenue run rate target and signed some huge customers. I knew that, to me, that was a goal that I wanted the company to achieve, and we achieved it. And I was incredibly happy. And I thought that um, it's best to transi- transition when the company's flying, when the company's really strong. Uh, and so uh, that's when we said, okay, let's look for a partner, whether it was an investment partner or, or an acquirer. We really didn't know what was going to happen. But the first thing we did was choose an investment banker to work with. And, and I, had been, I had been called and hounded by uh, private equity companies and investment bankers for about three years before we even started this because they saw that Ingenious was growing and doing well and they wanted to, to see if uh, they could help. So what we did actually at the end of 2011 is we decided to do uh, what's called a beauty contest. We we basically sent uh, a, a bunch of questions to I think 14 different investment bankers and chose two uh, two shortlisted who came and presented to us and uh, and chose a wonderful one. I'll give them a plug here because they're so good. AGC Capital Partners are just fantastic uh, out of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, so we they kicked us off on the process early in the year to see what was out there to see what what strategic partners or private equity companies would want to do with us, would they want to invest, would they want to acquire us, what would happen. And so throughout the uh, throughout last winter and spring, we were preparing and, and preparing for the due diligence that would come uh, when our company was going to be examined from head to toe uh, and really put, uh, put a lot of time and effort into explaining who we were and 
uh, putting our, our financial picture together and our business picture and our business, uh, our, our value prop uh, together in a way that would make sense. And and I will tell you, it was difficult for me to uh, to make the decision to leave. But like I say, 40 years, it's I knew I needed to get more leadership in here to take the company forward. Wow. Dale, I'm going to take us to break right now. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dale Gantis. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm here with Dale Gantis from Ingenious. Dale, before the break, we were talking about how you decided and when you decided to uh, look for, um, you know, someone to to purchase your company. What was that process like of you know, of going through that? Were there things that you imagined would happen and rolled out that way, or were there bumps along the way that you hadn't quite anticipated? I think that. Uh Having a, a really good investment banker really smoothed out a lot of the bumps because they were, they had done this so many times. They prepared us quite a bit. So we had to do a ton of work before we even went out to the marketplace. And that was, uh, so what's tricky is doing that ton of work at the same time as you're running a business. So, <laughs> so that, that part is, is hard, but, you know, suck it up. Yeah, you just have to do it. And it, it meant uh, a lot of long hours uh, in, in putting that preparation together. But, uh, but it, it happened. And, and um, you know, going through, oh, my gosh, I think we went out to, I think it was 160 potential partners and then signed 64 NDAs and then did 14 WebExes and then had a bunch of of interested parties and had to, uh, at the same time as, you know, they're evaluating you, of course, we had to evaluate them because our objective was not just to, you know, sell at a, at a good price. We, I had many, um, many stakeholders to think about. There was, uh, you know, myself and, and Rich as the shareholders, but, I had to think about the staff, I had to think about the customers, I had to think about the partners, and I needed, uh, I needed to try to assess at the same time what these bidders, 
how they would take the company forward and you don't have a lot of time to do it. So that that was uh, that was tricky. I'm I'm happy and I think lucky <laughs> with the choice that uh, that we made in the end. Wow, that's terrific. So tell me then a little bit about, you know, you had talked a little bit about that move to, you know, getting to 10 million. What was the difference in your business? We often talk about, you know, getting to that seven figures. What was the value and the benefit to your business to getting to eight figures? Oh, to eight figures, it it was a world of difference. It's a huge stamp of of uh, you've made it. <laughs> 10, million, 10 million in the industry, it's significant and it's significant to customers because, you know, some of the customers we're dealing with are multi-billion dollar customers and they, they want to, uh, you know, they want to make their, you know, in their uh, request for proposal from us, they're asking for our financials over a five-year period and they need to know that you're, we're in it for the long run. So getting to 10 million is a, is a real stamp of, yeah, well, getting to 10 million and having been around for over 20 years is a stamp of, yeah, we're going to be here for another 20 years. So uh, that, that 10 million mark is pretty important in, in my industry. Well, I'm curious now because I always talk about, um, you know, less than 2% of women have achieved seven figures in annual revenues. Um, so I, I now have to go see if I can find the data on where <laughs> you're at, but we're going to say very few. Um, okay. <laughs> we don't always stop to reflect on these, um, you know, amazing achievements that we've had. How do you uh, celebrate your successes? Food, wine, and parties. <laughs> I'll, I'll, always, we, we've, um, it's important to celebrate uh, all the way through. Uh, every, every good win, every time you make a customer happy, uh, we, get, we get reviews uh, posted on the Salesforce App Exchange, and uh, we're like consistent five-star reviews. And every time I see a five-star review come up, I send it to the whole company because everybody's Everybody loves to see those things, and that's a celebration. Um, we have cake, <laughs> lots of cake for these little things. And when we have big wins, we have we have a party, and and uh, food is really important. It's an, <laughs> it's really really important around here. There's lots of food happening all the time. I love it. Well, you know, <laughs> really, we we build relationships when we break bread with people, right? Oh yeah. For sure. When you think about that, you know, going from a million to 10 million, um, and you, you had said earlier that you tend to be fiscally conservative when you're managing. What were some of the key things that helped you grow in that particular way? Um, the, actually, the, um, you're right. We always managed fiscally conservatively and I'll, I'll I'll talk about venture capital in a second cuz we're 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 very unusual we've never raised venture capital um and I'll talk a little bit about um about what happened when we almost did once this was way back before the high tech bubble burst and we had we actually had a product in the streaming media industry and streaming media this is like before the days of YouTube when 
you know, you could have a postage size video uh, on your on your computer. But we had some cool technology in that area. And at some at one point, Goldman Sachs were in our office doing due diligence and considering making a $15 million investment in our company. Thank goodness the bubble burst when it did, because before they made the investment, the bubble burst, all of our dot-com customers went belly up and, and they never made the investment. If they had made the investment, they would have tanked us very soon after and they would have closed our company down. And that kind of stuck with us all, all the way uh, for the rest of our uh, of our evolution. So we we decided at that point, yeah, we're just going to do this ourselves. We're going to bootstrap. And the one of the biggest things that helped us get to 10 million was we we had to up our game, our management game. And so what we what we did is uh, we actually uh, were lucky enough to have an advisor, a, a guy named Paul Lokes, who. Um, uh, who uh, took a, a company here in Ottawa Public, uh, Hal- Halogen, and he was uh, looking for to help uh, scale up companies. And luckily, we met him, and he became my advisor and uh, instituted with with us and and taught us how to do a formal annual operating plan. And going through that annual operating planning process with him was an eye opener because it turns out that if you work out and plan what your big goals are for the company, like for the next year, and then you plan the activities that each department has to do and the, the KPIs, the, the, the key performance indicators they need to achieve to meet those big goals, it turns out you have a much better chance of meeting those big goals than if you didn't do that. And and so we we've this is I think the fourth year we've done the annual operating planning process with quarterly business re- reviews and we've consistently met our goals and I'm telling you achieving those goals when you said a year ago this is what we want to do and then a year later you meet them that feels great and and that's one of the main ways that we that we upped from the seven to the eight figures planning amazing and. And yet, you know, it, it sounds, when you talk about it, it sounds so simple. And yet, it again, is one of those things that you talked about earlier when you decide that you're going to sell, um, all of the things that you need to do that are in addition to your regular job. And, I, and you know, planning kind of falls into that, that, deci- that decision that we need to do this work on the business as well as the working in the business. Yes, you're right. And you know what? That process, uh, all, if it, that that was something that the entire senior team was involved in, and so they each had the burden of developing their plans, uh, their departmental plans, and and going through these uh, these this planning exercise, and then doing their quarterly reporting on top of their day jobs. And I am sure that you, if you ask each one of them, is it worth it, and would you do it again? They would absolutely say yes, because it brought not only our company up uh, a whole notch, I think it brought each senior management team member up up a whole lot. It really developed them as senior, uh, it, they de- it developed their leadership capabilities, and I think they're all 
very, very happy for it. It must be so heartwarming, just as you're talking about that, I'm reflecting on, you know, not only did you like build this company from scratch, the ability that you've had over the years to make these kinds of changes in people's lives that through this process of, of growth, all of these people have had that opportunity to stretch themselves and what that does for them. Now you're going to make me verklempt. Yes, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I'm going to say something else that we did, uh, not because not I want to brag, but because I want to encourage other people to consider doing this. Uh, we set up an employee trust um, a few years before we sold. And the purpose of that was so that if and when we did sell the company, we would be able to share uh, some of that with the employees. And we did. Every single employee in the company uh, got, uh, got a nice check when when we sold the company and yeah there were people that said it changed their lives and i'm i'm so happy to have been in the position to be able to do that and i'd encourage other people to do it oh that's so wonderful now you're giving me goosebumps (laughs) when we think about this you know this amazing career that you've had what are some of the things that are tried and true that you still do today that you did on day one? And what are some of the things that have changed over the years for you? The, uh, the, the cor- our corporate values never changed. And uh, like the, the entire time, they never changed. They were about, uh, about uh, using our brains to make people happy, uh, treating people with equality, ethics, and mutual respect. Uh, Teamwork, innovation, and doing all the above and having fun too. So <laughs> that those things uh, never changed. Uh, what changed? I, I guess I learned. I learned a lot, and um, I learned how to solve problems. Um, what's different? It is different because, frankly, you know, in the last five years, I think I I learned more than. <laughs> Than I had learned, you know, in in the twenty years before that. I don't know if uh, if that makes sense, but uh, working with big customers. Oh yeah, I, I learned how to work with big customers, mm. and that that is uh, that's something that's that takes time to learn, and you have to you have to do it and and learn about it, and and big customers have processes they need to follow they have needs that they that they need to follow you need to take care of them extremely well um and they're made up of people so you need to take care of the people and you need to ca- take care of their processes and make sure that you understand what they need to be successful and you deliver to them i don't know maybe that I didn't know that so much at the beginning. Uh, I guess that's that's something that's different. And you know, I really I, understand that now. And I think about that just when you're saying that. It reminded me of like this tiny example of that. But you know, it's the big things, and then it's the very practical. I worked for a startup a few years ago, and we had. Um, a massive, you know, a, a global company um, that we were doing this teeny tiny piece of work for. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the 
figuring out their processes and figuring mm-hmm. out like accounts payable and the and the the length of their cycle um, yep. for payment was shocking and yet, yes. you know so I think it's it's sometimes even those really little things that you have to sort through as well. And the cool thing is some people aren't good at sorting through them. Being, being, being patient and diligent and figuring out what it is they need, some of your competitors don't do that. And so that makes you better. And I bet your ability to ask good questions was helpful in that process as well. You bet. You bet. Not be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> and also, you can't embarrass me. I have no nerve endings left in me you know i'm not (laughs) that's terrific i'm gonna take a break and i'll be right back voice america is available on your google connected device okay google play turning hard times into good times podcast on iHeartRadio. try it today Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm here with Dale Gantis. And before the break, Dale said, you got to get rid of those nerve endings. So Dale, tell me about that. How do you build the confidence, the tenacity to quell those nerves that come up when we're doing these big deals? You gird your loins and do it. There's, there, there, there's, there's no way around that. It's not like uh, I... I, I had no fear. It's not like I I didn't worry. You worry and all that. But I think the biggest thing is to look around to the people that are depending on you. Our staff are depending on us. My partners are depending on us. Uh, I just, you just got to do it. And, and of course, some things are going to go wrong and you're going to make mistakes. Oh my gosh. I remember. (laughs) I can't. I I cannot divulge the the companies involved, but I remember a huge mistake I made was uh, signing a an exclusivity agreement with a customer. So we built. This is way back uh, before we do what we do now. Is it was when we were in the in the streaming media business that I talked to you about before. So this is we're going back twenty years here. And we built this fancy system for uh, that that uh, a multimedia TV channel system for one big cable company. 
And uh, yeah, they liked it. And I knew I, I really didn't know a lot about legal stuff back then. And they asked for an exclusivity agreement. And I said, sure, because they were going to pay us $100,000. And that sounded pretty good to me. Right. And so we signed the exclusivity agreement. And then we sold the same product to a, 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 a television channel. And we said, well, they're not a cable company. They don't compete with the cable company. This is no problem. That's fine. And then I mentioned to the cable company that we had sold it to the broadcast company, and they went ballistic. They went ballistic. And I was leaving on vacation uh, in the Caribbean somewhere when I get this lawyer's letter you know, threatening to sue me. And, oh, you want to talk about nerves? That, that burnt a whole bunch of nerves in my, in, my, in my body. And then in the end, what happened was the two of them got together and they made the TV channel, instead of paying us, pay them the cable company. So we got no money. <laughs> but at least the, the threat of legal action went away. You want to talk about learning a lesson? I've never signed an exclusivity deal since. Don't do it. It's, it does not worth it. And so, you know, you go through a bunch of these things and you survive it one way or another. And it really it does build confidence. Like that's about the worst problem I ever, I ever went through. Uh, uh, probably a bunch of other problems like that as well. But uh, each one you go through, you get, uh, y- you get smarter and you realize you can avoid problems by saying, okay, I won't do that again. I won't do that again. And then uh, you get more and more confidence and you get older and that gives you more confidence as well. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? I, I, yeah. 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 There is something age that brings confidence. Yeah. As we're on this topic, um, what advice do you have for, you know, for the women who are listening who are like, I want to hit that seven figure mark in my business. How do I do that? Sure. Um, uh, first of all, you've got to figure out what you are good at and what you are better at and what you and your team are better at that you, where you can, where customers will actually want to take money out of their pocket and put it into yours. So that's, that's the old product market fit. You have to figure out what your, what your uh, target is, who's going to buy your stuff and, uh, and what is it that's going to make them want to buy it. And you may not get that right at the beginning. Like we pivoted a few times we started as consulting. We went into streaming media and it took a while before we focused on computer telephony integration. So it, it it doesn't matter if you're if you don't start with the right thing, but but don't continue with the wrong thing. That's the important part. Find the thing that that is going to get you to that first million. Then a bunch of other things. The old adage "pay yourself first is baloney. I, I can't. I I've never understood why people say pay yourself first. That's an easy way to go bankrupt. You know. Make a profit first, then pay yourself out of the profit. That's one. Hiring is so important. Hire only the best people. And we've had an adage around here that works wonderfully. Uh, you know, have a have a you know few people in making the decision. And if anybody has any any doubts, 
don't hire. That's it's really, really important. Wow. So truly trust your gut on that one and other people's. Yes. Yes. Listen, listen to other people. And it's hard when you're, oh, you think, oh, I really need a, I really need somebody, you know, to do this job and this person looks pretty good. Let's do it. Trust other people. And of course, reference checks are critical. Always do reference checks. They're, they're boring and they take time. Always do them and listen to anything, any, any reference check that is not a glowing commendation run away. <laughs> Basically, yeah. that's it. Um, and uh, I'd say know all the details, ask all the questions, uh, be demanding of the team that reports to you. It's good for you. It's good for the business and it's good for them. And then, uh, you know, ethics, be ethical and treat people with respect. That's also good for your business and good for you and good for them and have some fun. If you're not having fun, don't do it. Life's, life is short, you know, you got to have fun. And we spend an awful lot of time at work, don't we? <laughs> we sure do. Fun there, there's a good chance for me. We sure do. There better, there better be laughing uh, and food. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> food. One of the things, oh, so here's another, as you're, as a, you're answering that, I just, I'm curious. So we talked about that's the advice um, for, to have someone who wants to hit Seven figures. Is there different advice for someone who's from seven figures to eight? Yeah, I, I, the, I had my advisor had such a big impact uh, on my ability and on our whole senior team's ability to move up to eight figures. I would say uh, I would encourage that as much as I would encourage a psychologist for for someone who might have. You might have psychological difficulties. What I'm saying is I really believe in the experts and using the value and advice of, of experts. I don't know. I've talked to my friends lately about, about uh, psychologists for, for uh, you know, in our lives. And turns out everybody's used one at some point and they've been tremendously helpful. Well, I'd say the same thing for, uh, for advisors. That's a really great piece of advice. I appreciate that. And I'm glad we circled back to that. When you think about your career and you think about, you know, you talked about there was sort of a four-year period that was, you had a great learning curve on that. How were you able to manage or what did, you know, the other parts of your life look like? And someone asked me the other day, but what are the things that, that women actually sacrifice in order to to grow these businesses. So I, I want to ask you that question. Sure. Well, I'm pretty lucky. So uh, it, it's really funny because after Rich hired me to be his boss, basically, we worked together for seven years before we finally looked at each other and said, hey, you're kind of cute. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I will I will take you to the, uh, the end story is uh, our our twin boys are turning 17 years old next week. <laughs> so I was pretty lucky in that my, uh, my business life and my home life coalesced and, um, and he's been a, you know, a fantastic partner and supporter of, of me and the business growing uh, throughout our time together. I would say, you gotta you you have to have a strong support system. So I always did. When uh, you know, Rich was always great, but you know, 
pre-kids, it's all pretty easy. When when kids show up, everything gets harder. Um, and we had twins. And uh, that was interesting. So I always had help. I had nannies. Uh, I I always, you know, we we're always not afraid to spend some some of the money that we had to provide a support system that was going to work for us. Um, so, yeah, I've been I've been lucky. I really haven't had to sacrifice anything's been you know a lot of work uh, of course but hey you know it's been in, it's been interesting and it's been fun well so support system is is important it really is and i think that's um i i want to just pause so people can really hear that i had a a woman on the show a few weeks ago called eve rodsky and she talks about uh she wrote a book called fair play and it's really about rebalancing the work and the what it takes to manage a household and so i think that it's sort of my my new theme that i'm on although i've had it for a while but really i often hear from women who sort of feel like they have to do it all. And then the recognition that not only do you not have to do it all, it's actually really, really hard. And <laughs> are you impossible to keep yeah. all of the balls in the air all of the time? And on your own, absolutely, it's impossible. You got, you got to find the things, the, the ways that are, are going to uh, work for you. I, I went back to work after five and a half months and oh, work was so much easier <laughs> than, than staying home with uh, with twin babies. Uh, but I, like I said, I always had uh, a nanny. I didn't. They weren't live-in nannies. I guess no, my niece stayed with us until they were eighteen months. So so yeah, I had a live-in nanny then. Um, but then I had uh, nannies that would just come in, and you know, there's the cleaning, there's the cooking, there's the shopping. Shopping used to take a long time. I'm really happy with the online shopping of groceries these days because I don't have a nanny anymore. But uh, yeah, you have to. And I've always had a cleaning lady. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. Absolutely. So there's a team, a team who helps out nannies and cleaning ladies and online shopping, all of those sorts of things. Tell me what is your greatest joy as a business owner? Uh, Well, it's really... um, having built a successful company feels pretty darn good that the customers customers love us and the staff really love us too you you mentioned before we spend a lot of time at working making a a place that makes people happy and making money at it is super fun and it's as simple as that that's that's my greatest joy amazing What's on the horizon now for you, Dale? So you've sold this company. You um, are you there for a certain amount of time, or do you personally have an exit plan? I'm actually here till the end of May. Okay. And um, when people ask me what are you going to do, I have a pat answer. I say I'm going to clean my house and watch TV. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what that really means is I'm going to relax for a little bit and figure out what I want to do next. I. I hope that I will get involved in uh, in a charitable organization, and but but I think I'm just going to breathe for <laughs> for for the summer and then figure out in the fall what I want to do. What an amazing idea to just relax for a little. <laughs> yeah. 
And what's your vision for your for Ingenious as you as you are able to sit back? What where do you want to see it grow? Well, one of the reasons Upland uh, acquired Ingenious was because it was it it saw the the tremendous growth in the contact center market, and it acquired Ingenious as really the linchpin in getting into the contact center market. And they've got they've got some other companies that do. Uh, do things like sentiment analysis and knowledge management and uh, making uh, ingenious and those companies work well together is uh, is one of the uh, target objectives uh, and as I said before growing the revenues they like we've surpassed 10 million I think we're past 11 million now and just growing that up to 20 and and 30 million and beyond and uh, it it continuing to be a great place to work uh, here and and having a fantastic culture while while growing. And the, the lovely thing is that um, organic growth and strong positive culture go right hand in hand. So keeping both of those things going, that's that's my vision, and that's what I think is going to happen with Ingenious. Oh, so amazing. Well, Dale, I am so grateful for your time here today. And you have given us so much insight into not only getting to that seven figures, but also eight. So I really appreciate your time and your energy and your wisdom, quite honestly. Oh, it's been an absolute self-indulgent. Self-indulgent pleasure, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks so much to you. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. Self-indulgent pleasures are very fun. If only we had food, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, I've got food. I've eating, been eating the whole time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right, Dale. Thank you so much. And um, we will share um, all of the, you know, how, how folks can find Ingenious um, in our show notes. But I do appreciate you. I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Before we leave today, I want to talk to you a little bit about the conference organizers who reached out to me a few months ago. They've invited me to present my 90 for 90 workshop at their upcoming conference in Jamaica. You know, you go to conferences and you get all fired up with all the things that you've learned and how you're going to add them to your business. And then you go back home. And what happens? Well, you have to get caught up on all of the things that you missed out on while you were at the conference. Uh, And then, you know, before you know it, you are six months out and you've only implemented a small fraction of what you've learned at the conference that you spent good money to attend or worse than that, none of it at all. And you just happen to find the binder uh, six months later. It's a challenge that every conference planner faces, and it's a challenge that everyone who attends a conference faces. So this fo- these folks reached out to me because my 90 for 90 workshop actually solves that problem for you. In a 90-minute workshop, I can guide your participants through a strategy and planning process that actually builds their learnings from your conference into their daily plan. Your conference participants will thank you for it and they will leave with a clear and realistic and practical plan of attack, not only for what they learned at your conference, but what, how to integrate that into all of the other things that they have going in the run of their 90 days. So if you plan events, reach out. I'd love to talk to you more about how you could build this powerful, action-oriented workshop into your agenda. 
if you attend events, particularly if you're part of an industry association, um, share my contact information with the folks who are organizing. They will be grateful to you for doing that because I assure you, every com- conference planner, uh, you know, experiences that same challenge. As someone who's done a ton of events, I know that that's part of uh, part of the challenge that we face. So I do want to again say thank you to all of you who listen every week. I so appreciate your time and your energy and your attention. And please feel free to reach out. I would love to hear from you, hear uh, directly from you what you like about the show, what you'd love to see different. And if there are questions that you are yelling at your at your phone that I'm not asking, please uh, reach out and, and tell me what they are because I, I, this show is it really is for you. So I do want to say thank you again for listening. Please subscribe where you get your podcasts and uh, share with your friends. Uh, Again, my name is Sarah Roach-Lewis and this is Breakthrough. I hope you'll join me next week. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach-Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.